times or affect change in, our, in those times, affect change in our own lives when we go through trying times? What's the best way to do that? Because nowadays, like trials aren't new, but what's new during trials now is everybody has a voice and they can react to those trials and they can react to those trials quickly. Not that we didn't have a voice before, but the microphone is like closer to our mouth, but it's really closer to our fingertips, right? We can respond and react to those trying times quickly. And if I'm giving the benefit of the doubt, I think a lot of times we're like, oh, I want to use my voice to like affect change. And I have this platform on social media or wherever it may be that if I respond and I see somebody doing something that I don't like, I can respond to it and hopefully bring other people to my side. And again, in a, in a good way, benefit of the doubt way, it's like, yeah, that's, that's honorable that you want to affect change in that way. But the problem is when trying times come, they ramp up our emotions too, right? The sadness the fear, the anger, it all starts ramping up and then at your fingertips you can react really quickly based on your emotions. And when you react quickly, your hope was to affect change and what happens if it starts doing the exact opposite? It actually creates more division. It actually creates more turmoil because we've emotionally reacted and responded What is the best way, what is the best way in the midst of trials to affect change? What do you need to know to help you respond in a way that leads to God-honoring results and God-honoring change? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. So when trials come, how do we need to receive them and respond in a way that affects change? All right, so James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21 is where we're going to be this morning. James 1, 19 through 21 says this. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So... Some of you remember last week, uh, verse 16, it's not going to be on the screen, but verse 16 says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers, right? So James is speaking to Christians here. He's speaking to his beloved brothers, brothers and sisters, his spiritual family is who he's talking to here. And he starts this paragraph very similarly. So last week, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. This week, know this, my beloved brothers. There is something that the audience that James is writing to needs to pay attention to. They need to be aware of, they need to know, they need to take note of. Now, again, who is he writing to? His beloved brother's spiritual family. Now, if you remember their context, just as a reminder here, I know we're several weeks in, but these are Jewish background believers and now they're scattered in a lot of different places because of persecution. So they're dispersed. So what was familiar to them, like... My family's familiar, my spiritual family's familiar, the surroundings around me are familiar. Now we're dispersed in a lot of different places. And they're in this trial where they're learning a new normal. And he's saying, in the midst of this new normal, in the midst of these trials that you're going through, there is something that you need to know. Okay? So why is he writing to them? Remember, he is writing all about how do you live out your faith actively? 
You have saving faith. You are saved. You are a believer. Okay? He's saying, now, how does that saving faith, early on in chapter 1, how does that saving faith respond to trials? How does that saving faith respond to temptations? And this morning, what we're going to talk about is how does our saving faith actively respond to the Word of God? How does our saving faith actively respond to the Word of God? Now, you're like, how do you, how'd you get that? Go back to verse 18 from last week. It says, Of his own will, he brought us forth by the what? Word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now remember, he brought us forth, he saved us. The goodness of God has been shown to us in salvation. How did that salvation come? Through the word of truth. What's the word of truth? It's the gospel message, this message of salvation. So the gospel is the thing that saves us, all right? So the word of truth is what saved us. Now skipping ahead to next week, not going to preach that sermon, but it says this in verses 22 and 23. But be doers of the what? Word. And not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, and then he goes on to say, and he forgets what he looks like. So last week we talked about you are saved by the gospel. You're saved by the word of truth. Next week, you need to be not just a hearer of the word, not just a hearer of the gospel, but you got to actually do something about it. So we're in this sandwich. So what comes in the middle of the sandwich? Verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So that's where you get this... This is all, the context is coming together. You were saved by the word. You need to do something when you receive the word. But how do you actually receive it in an ongoing way? That's where we're going this morning. How do you receive it in an ongoing way? He says, hey, I want you to receive it. I want you to take it to heart. I want you to be in tune with the gospel on an ongoing basis. And I want you to receive with meekness this implanted word. What does it mean to receive with meekness? Probably the easiest translation there would be to receive it with humility. What James is getting after is you need to be teachable. Not just hearing the gospel at one point, but you want to be in this spot in your life where you're taking on a meek, humble, teachable spirit. And you're going, I want to receive the gospel regularly. regularly. I have this readiness to open the word of God and to receive the word of God. So when someone speaks it to, into your life, you have another believer who comes to you at some point and says, hey, I want to talk to you about the gospel. We want to be in a spot that's like, oh, that's awesome. Let, let's receive that and not push against it. Or you come on Sunday morning and we open up the word. Like the hope is like, oh, I'm ready and I'm eager to receive this. Or you open up your Bible and you're reading the Bible, you're eager and you're teachable, you're humble coming to the Word of God. He says, receive with meekness the implanted Word. This is just a good reminder, but this Word's already there. It's been implanted, so he's writing to Christians. So the concern for James is this, is that the gospel has been implanted in you, but trials have caused you not to be receptive to it regularly. So the gospel's there. Like, you've received the gospel But now because of trials, you're starting to forget it. And when somebody wants to speak the word of God in the midst of that trial, you're like, "Ah, I don't really want to receive that. 
You ever been in that spot? You're going through a really hard time and you have a great friend who loves you dearly and they have been there and there's moments that they have just been present. They haven't said anything and that's a great friend, right? It's not just talking all the time. It's just there. But then some, at some point they're like, hey, I want to remind you of some scripture. You ever in those moments like, Ugh, I don't want to hear scripture right now. I just want you to maybe tell me what I want to hear. That's not a good spot to be in. Or I, I, I don't want to hear the word of God. I just want you to be here. Sometimes we need, all the time, we need to hear the word of God. But if you find yourself in a trial and you're pushing back against the gospel, hearing about the gospel and the word in that trial, James is saying, watch out. I want to remind you, there's something you need to know about this. Many of you, maybe you became a believer as a child and you received the gospel for the first time as a child. Like James is saying, I don't want you to just hold on to the gospel that you received as a child. Yes, hold on to it. But I want you to have like ongoing activity of the gospel in your life. For me personally, I received the gospel after a revival service when I was 14 in a small town, South Carolina church, heard the gospel, went home that night and trusted in Christ. So thankful for God's grace. And I remember that regularly. But I can't just hold on to just that one moment, that one-time acceptance of the gospel. So how do we foster an environment in our lives, a context in our lives where there's ongoing gospel activity, not just one-time gospel acceptance? So, to help you maybe understand this a little better, how many of you remember, if you were around in the early uh, 2000s, um, there was a commercial, as soon as I say the words, some of you are going to remember this. Can you hear me now? 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 And the idea behind it was, hey, cell phone signals weren't that great at that point, but if you went with this certain carrier, this guy's out in the middle of, it just felt like nowhere, and he still has great cell phone reception. And he said, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Because we need a strong signal in our lives to receive the message clearly, right? Like, you've all been on the phone at some point in your life, and you're talking on the phone, and it's like... Sorry, it sounded like I was beatboxing there for a second. <laughs> you didn't know I could do that, right? You didn't know one of your pastors could beatbox. Um, not good. Um, but you, you're in that moment. You're like, I can't hear you on the other side. I can't receive the message clearly, what you're trying to say, me on, say to me on the other side of the phone because the signal's not strong. How do we strengthen the signal of our lives where we can actually hear the gospel and receive the gospel clearly? Let's go back to verse 19. He says this. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear... Slow to speak, slow to anger. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. He says, let every person be. This is an identity issue. This is who you need to be when you encounter the word of God. When you come in to hear a sermon, when you open up your Bible, when somebody else is sharing the gospel with you, when you're hearing a worship song that's reminding you of the word, like, who are you to be? Three different types of people you need to be. You need to be a quick hearing person, a slow to speak person, and a slow to anger person. So let's kind of walk through each of those. 
a quick hearing person. Literally what the, the Greek is saying here is hurry up and listen. I want you to hurry up so you can listen. Hurry up and listen. It's this rapid pursuit to slow down so you can receive the word of God. It's like showing up to a game early, right? I'm going to show up to the game early so I don't miss the kickoff. I'm going to show up to a concert early because I want to see what happens at the the opener, right? You're you're getting there early so you can slow down and receive what's in front of you. He says, I want you to be a quick hearing person. Again, this is speaking to that meekness in receiving the word, this eagerness to listen. Now, why is this important? Well, I think it's important for the original audience because of this. Their culture was a verbal culture at this point. There weren't a lot of written scriptures at this point. So, let's say James shows up at their church and he's like, I'm going to read you this letter. That, that doesn't happen often. They don't have their own Bibles at home. So, if they aren't, they aren't quick to hear, what's going to happen? They might miss it. They might miss their chance to actually receive the word. Now for us, many of you have Bibles. Maybe if your spouse is sitting next to you, you have a different Bible. Maybe your kid's sitting next to you, you have different Bibles. Maybe if I go to your house, there might be four or five, six other Bibles. If you can't find, don't have a Bible, you can download 45 different apps with all kinds of Bibles. We don't have the same issue, right? So what is he trying to get at here? We've got to be able to slow down in our lives to receive the word. I think some of us struggle to hear and receive the gospel. We're slow to hear because we're too quick to be living. That's what I mean by that. We are too busy in our lives to slow down to hear the word of God. If you can't come to church and you're not eager to come to church because you're always at a kid's soccer tournament, you may not be in the most teachable spot. If your busy schedules do not allow you to slow down, to actually receive the word of God, we can't hear the word of God because we're unwilling to slow down the pace of our lives. That's what James is trying to get at here. Again, for them, slow down so you can hear the word because you might miss it. Some of you in your lives right now, you need to slow down because you're missing the word. So he says you need to be a quick hearing person to receive the word. But not only that, you need to be a slow to speak person. There's this sense of hesitation. There's a sense of delay when you encounter the word. So how many of you as children have been told, think before you speak? How many of you as adults have been told, think before you speak, right? Um, Some of you maybe have been told at some point, hey, you have two ears and one mouth. Like one is supposed to be used double the amount of time as the other one. The Jewish rabbis said it this way. This is the reason we have two ears and only one mouth, that we may hear more and speak less. The ears are always open, ever ready to receive instruction. But the tongue is surrounded with a double row of teeth to hedge it in and keep it within proper bounds. Again, we're talking about not just speaking a lot. We're talking about how do you receive the gospel? Now, we're not talking about proclaiming the gospel here. That's really key because some of you are like, oh, I don't have to share the gospel with anybody. I'm supposed to be slow to speak. That's not what he's talking about. The context is receiving the gospel. 
So yes, proclaim the gospel and proclaim it often. But when you encounter the word of truth, the implanted word, when you encounter it, you don't need to be the first person to just go, I'm going to talk about that. I loved it. That sermon was awesome. But it never impacts your heart. How many of you are willing to talk about a sermon at lunchtime and never let it impact your heart? He's saying, man, we don't want to be a people this. We want to be quick hearing people and slow to speak people. Don't be quick to just talk about the Bible and really slow to do something about it. Guys, an excessive talker doesn't receive the word well. An excessive talker doesn't receive the word well. Are you quick to confess but slow to repent? What do I mean by that? If you're talking, you, somebody, you encounter the word some way. And you're like, oh man, I'm so sorry, I shouldn't have done that. And then you keep doing the same thing. You may not be a slow to speak person. Because you were really quick to confess but you've been really slow to repent. He's saying that's not the type of person that receives the word well. But I think so often we've learned how to play the Christian game. And the Christian game has its own unique jargon, right? Like, oh, I know how to speak Christianese. I can speak it. And because I can speak it, what people think about me, people's perception of me, and that's my highest priority. So I can play the game and people will think I'm good. God knows. God knows. That's how it might play out if you're, to connect, and you're, a connect, if you're in a connection group. If you, every time your leader asks a question, if you are always the first one to answer because you're so ready to talk about it and you don't let anybody else talk, I would go, just, just be aware that you might be just quick to talk. Now, all the connection group leaders are like, please don't tell them that. They will never talk while they ask a question, right? I'm just saying, be slow. If you're always the most eager one to say something, you may not let it be letting the word of God sink into your heart. Psalm 119, verse 31 says this. I open my mouth and pant. Because I long for your commandments. He's saying, I'm longing, I'm thirsting, I'm desiring your commandments, your word. And I'm opening my mouth and speaking? No, I'm opening my mouth and panting because I want your word. I'm not just going to talk about your word, but I want your word to impact my life. So he says, if you want to receive the gospel well, with humility, be a quick hearing person, a slow to speak person, and a slow to anger person. Be slow to anger Now again, remember, he's talking about how you receive the gospel regularly in your life. How are you teachable? Somebody once said this, an angry spirit is never an attentive one. An angry spirit is never an attentive one. Maybe you were in college at one point in your life, uh, or high school, even middle school, I guess. So at the beginning of class, your teacher hands back a test or they hand back a paper that you wrote right at the beginning of class and you don't like your grade you receive and you start kind of fuming inside, how well are you going to listen to the rest of the lecture that day? You're probably not going to be, because you're like just, you're seething inside. I can't believe she gave me that grade. I can't believe he said that. Like he doesn't know how much I studied for this. 
And you're, you're not an attentive person to the rest of the class because you're an angry person. What James is saying is, you want to receive the word, you need to be slow to anger about what the word reveals about the sinfulness of your life. When you encounter the word and it exposes some idolatry, when you encounter the word and it exposes some worldliness, some sinfulness, he says before you start to get defensive about it, before you start to make excuses and deflect it and blame it, on your upbringing or what happened in your past, be slow to anger. Be slow to anger. Quit making excuses. Stop justifying your sin. And that's where it comes back to that whole idea of like, I don't want to hear the word right now. Maybe you need to hear the word now. And God in his kindness is wanting to lead you to repentance. But your anger just flares up. Like, I don't want to hear that right now. They don't know what's happened in my past. I don't know what's happened in your past. But I know we can't just excuse our anger for what's happened in our past. Because James 1, 14 and 15 said this, just as a reminder. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives Gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So, how are we lured and enticed? By our own desires, not what happened in the past. By our own desires, that's where that anger is coming from. So, if you want to strengthen the signal to receive the gospel message, receive it with humility. Be a quick hearing person, a slow to speak person, a slow to anger person. And then verse 21, first part of it says this. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. So if we're going to receive the gospel clearly, we need to do it with humility, but we also need to do it with holiness. Put away there means to put off, to put aside, to quit holding on to. And the actual tense in the original language is having put off. So this is something you should have done. You should have put all the filthiness and wickedness off when you received the gospel for the first time. But some of you are still holding on to some really bad habits, is what James is saying. The bad habits that you had pre-Christ, you're still holding on to them. Now, Paul would say there's some specific things to put away. Colossians chapter 3 Verses 8 through 10 says now says this, but now you must put them all away. Same, same word. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You're a new person, right? You're being, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Like, you're new. Like, put off that stuff. And then Peter would say it this way in 1 Peter 2. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. That by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. He's saying there's a lot in your life that you're holding on to. And James is saying you got to put it away. If you're going to receive the gospel clearly, don't just be teachable, but you're going to have to put some sinfulness away. The filthiness that he's talking about there is like moral defilement, moral filth. The word picture we get there is dirty clothes, muddy clothes. Maybe you have kids and they've played out in the mud before. 
And you're like, oh, and just let them go play in the mud. And then they come in and they see another brother or sister watching the TV. And they kind of try to run in the door with all their muddy shoes and clothes on. You're like, no, 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 that's not going to work. Like, you're not going to get to see something and receive this message on the TV, right? Because you're filthy. You're not coming into my living room like that. So you get the hose and you, like, wash them off outside or whatever, right? Like, you got to, you can't just bring that filthiness and think that you're going to get to receive something well. He says, you got to cut it out. And he says... Therefore, put away all filthiness. Do you know what all means in Greek? All. All of it. Like, put it all away. Put it all away. You're struggling. Some of you, you may be struggling to hear the gospel clearly. Because you haven't put away all the filthy things you're listening to. Or watching. Or doing. So he says, put away all the filthiness, but not only put away all the filthiness, I want you to put away all the rampant wickedness. Now the filthiness is the things that you do, the things that you watch, the things that you see and hear. The wickedness is talking about our character. It's talking about our bad attitudes. He says, I want you to put those things away. Put away the envy. Put away the jealousy. Put away the bitterness. We've got to put away our sinfulness. We need to embrace holiness in our lives. Because we can say like, oh yeah, I'm, a, I'm humble. One, watch out if you're saying I'm humble all the time, right? But like, you're, maybe you're walking in humility, but you refuse to walk in holiness. You're going to struggle to hear the gospel regularly. Some of you are like, I'm, no, I'm a really good listener. But you can't stop listening to filthy audiobooks, Filthy romance novels. But I'm a great listener, and you're listening to a lot of filth in your life. Well, I, I'm at least I'm slow to speak. But the voice inside your head has so much bitterness in your life. So much jealousy. They don't, you're humble, but you're not walking in holiness. Well, I'm not a very angry person. But you refuse to forgive somebody that's hurt you. I'm not a very angry person, but you're unwilling to reconcile a relationship in your life. We won't hear the gospel message clearly, regularly in our lives. Now, don't forget, he's talking to believers. I'm not talking about your salvation at stake here. I'm talking about you regularly hearing the word of truth. Like Embrace it with humility. Embrace it and receive the gospel with holiness. Now, I think James is not just trying to say here, hey, I want you to receive the word just for your own self, though. Like, I think he's trying to say, you can have a bigger kingdom impact in this world if you begin to receive the gospel this way. So in the midst of trials, how are we going to impact our world and affect change? You receive the gospel with humility and holiness. Now, it's not going to be on screen, but in Matthew chapter 13... Jesus tells this parable that's familiar to a lot of you. The parable of the sower. Where he's talking about, he's giving this, telling this story that has this point. And he's saying, hey, there's this guy and he's scattered seeds. But according to what path it fell on, according to what soil it fell on, like, it wasn't received well. And then he's going to go on to explain that. And this is what Jesus says. Here then the parable of the sower. This is Matthew 13 verse 18 is where we're starting. 
Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately it falls away. Hey, when the tri- you were really excited about the gospel. And then when trials came, you didn't last. You didn't receive the gospel well. Verse 22 says, As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfaithful. I'm so excited about Jesus, but I'm also really excited about filth and wickedness. It's going to choke the word out. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Like he's saying, hey, if the seed falls on good soil, if you receive the gospel in good soil with humility and holiness, it's going to produce amazing kingdom results. Hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. It's awesome. Now, I think every single person in this room, I don't know all of you, but my guess is if you're in church, you would love to see God's size changed in our world. Every one of us would love our lives to produce God-sized, God-honoring results in this world. But I think what we're going to see is that some of us approach it one way that may be very counterintuitive, or not counterintuitive, counter to the way God says you want to produce God-sized change. Let's go back to that social media thing. Oh, I want to react and I want to affect change. I'm just going to respond because I want to see God-sized change. But what if it ends up doing different? Verse 20 would say, this is what our anger produces. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Why not be angry? Because it's not going to produce the righteousness of God. Now, this is not, James is not talking about the righteousness of God the way Paul talks about the righteousness of God in the same way. Because Paul would talk about like the righteousness of God is God's gift to us through Christ, right? It's an act of righteousness that we're given. James is saying there is a way to live that aligns with God and produces God-like things. It produces his righteousness. Wise conduct is a mark of God's people, not anger. Because anger doesn't produce what pleases God. Some of you know the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. Does it say love, joy, peace, patience, anger? No. It doesn't produce the righteousness of God. Our anger rarely produces God-honoring outcomes. Like think back to the last time you were really angry. Do you think it produced the righteousness of God? The last time that you yelled at your kids, how many of your kids after that thought, man, my God, my dad's God is really righteous? The last time you made an angry social media post, how many of your friends and followers, friends and followers, I'll quote them, how many of them saw the righteousness of your God? 
When's the last time you were watching a bunch of 18 to 22 year olds play a game on a Saturday and you're yelling at 18 to 22 year olds playing a game or you're just yelling at your TV? How many of the people around you in your living room or in the stands are saying, man, their God is awesome? The anger of man, the anger of a person, does not produce the righteousness of God. At best, it produces nothing righteous. At worst, it produces unrighteousness. Now, there's a really thin line between anger and sin. Because anger in and of itself is not sin. But you're walking a really thin tightrope in your anger. That on both sides are ditches of sin. And you can fall really quickly. Now, some of you in this room, you're going right now to justify your anger. You're saying, but Jesus flipped over tables in the temple out of righteous anger. And guess what? You're not Jesus. You're not Jesus. And remember that those moments were the minority of Jesus' ministry. Did they happen? Yes. Is there a righteous anger? Absolutely. Absolutely. How does the frequency of your righteous anger compare to the frequency of Jesus' righteous anger? Because I think some of us as Christians, we're like, well, I'm going to fight for injustice. I'm going to fight against unrighteousness. And I'm going to fight in righteous anger. And it does not look like Jesus at all. And it is producing anything but the righteousness of God. Be careful. Because not only does it not produce the righteousness of God, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 would say this, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. So not only is your anger not producing the righteousness of God, your anger is also giving an opportunity for Satan to work in your life. How many of you, please don't raise your hand, would say, Oh, I would love Satan to work in my life more. Like, please don't raise your hand. That's a terrible thing, right? Like, none of us would desire that. But when we're walking in anger, you're giving an opportunity for Satan to work. We want to produce the righteousness of God in our lives and in our world. Don't let, don't be an angry person. That's not how you're going to do it. But then verse 20, the end of verse 21 says this. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. A lack of humility when receiving the word. A lack of holiness when receiving the word. It doesn't produce the righteousness of God. And it doesn't produce anything that leads to salvation. Because the implanted word has the power to save your souls. So if you want kingdom results in your life. If you want to see God-sized change in your life and in our world in the midst of change. This is how to do it. Receive the gospel with humility and holiness to cultivate kingdom results. To cultivate the soil of your heart to produce kingdom results. Like humility and holiness, they prepare the soil of your heart to receive the gospel. To produce righteousness and to display salvation to the world. The best way to impact your world, to affect change in the world is to receive the gospel. 
best way to impact your world is not to, not an eagerness to post angrily on social media, but an eagerness to come to church and hear his word. The best way to impact our world is not a fight against injustice with a passivity toward our own holiness. Some of you are like, man, I want to fight against injustice, but I don't really care about my own holiness. The best way to impact your world is not a crusade against unrighteousness in other people's lives without crucifying unrighteousness in our own lives. So what do you do with a sermon like this? I'm going to give you one word. That word is pause. Pause. Wouldn't it be awesome if we all had a pause button in our lives? The moment that we got angry, somebody could just say, pause, please, stop. Before you just react and go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight Just pause, because the anger of man doesn't produce the righteousness of God. Before you come into a worship service, pause. Say, God, I want to humbly receive your word today. When the temptations for filth and rampant wickedness come into your life, pause and remember the goodness of God. Remember that you can pursue Jesus and you don't have to pursue that sin by God's grace. pause. Let's be a church that pauses. Let's be a church that receives the gospel with humility and holiness. There's less relational tension because we enter relationships with humility and we're ready to hear the gospel. We're a church eager to be formed by God's word, not push against it or be defensive when it comes to us. And what what does a pause in our life lead to. Last verse I'm going to say. Psalm 46.10 says this. Be still and know that I am God. Pause. Pause and know that he's God. Now sometimes we stop there, but listen to what that pause does. Be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. You are still before God so that he will be exalted to the ends of the earth. Why? Because Jesus is worthy. He is worthy of the world's worship. And he is not being worshipped everywhere. So if we're going to put him on display to the ends of the earth, we slow down. We are quick to hear the gospel. We are slow to speak because we're quick to repent. We're slow to get angry because A lack of anger, it's going to produce the righteousness of God. And we want the world to know how amazing our God is. We want the fans sitting beside us in the stands to know how awesome our God is. So pause. Pause. Because God will be glorified when we do. Amen. Let's pray. Father. We want to be a church that doesn't simply confess our sins. We want to be a church that repents of our sins. God, we want to be a church that produces your righteousness. We want to be a church that puts your salvation on display. And Lord, we know that we don't have the ability to be humble on our own. 
We don't have the ability to be holy without you. Father, I pray that you would pour your grace out upon us. That way we may consistently receive the gospel with humility and holiness. So that you are exalted among the nations, God. We can't do it without you. Please help us. In Jesus' name, amen.